When Netflix released its adaptation of The Babysitter's Club earlier this year, it exceeded my expectations on a lot of fronts. I loved the fabulous fashion, the way the BSC was updated to reflect more 2020 vibe, the new storylines, and so much more. But I was particularly surprised by how much I loved Karen, Christie's new stepsister. We spend a lot of time these days talking about difficult Karens, but this Karen was absolutely delightful. Weird, but delightful. It was refreshing. Given my newfound appreciation for Karen, I was very excited to explore the Babysitter's Little Sister series, which spotlights, of course, Karen. This BSC spinoff series launched in 1988 with a book called Karen's Witch, which just so happens to be our focus on today's episode. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I am not a huge Halloween girl, so I thought that doing a show about this book would give us the perfect balance of spooky and, well, Karen. I know you're going to love it. In Karen's Witch, six-year-old Karen is convinced that her dad's next-door neighbor, Mrs. Porter, is actually a witch named Morbida Destiny. She goes to great lengths to prove her theory to her family, and as you can imagine, plenty of antics ensue. On this episode, we discuss how much we respect Karen's commitment to her truth. We also talk about the way Anne M. Martin portrays divorce and blended families through Karen's eyes and consider the situation at hand from the perspective of both a big sister and a little sister. And since my guest read the newly released graphic novel version of Karen's Witch, we do some fun comparing and contrasting and talk a bit about the graphic novel format more generally. My guest today is the lovely Allison Wynn Scotch. Allison is the author of eight novels, including the newly released Cleo McDougall Regrets Nothing, which I am reading right now and absolutely loving. You can follow Allison on Instagram and Twitter at ASWIN. Thanks so much to Allison for joining me on this spooky babysitter's little sister journey. There are a lot of exciting things coming for SSR, and the best way to stay on top of them is to follow the show on social media. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. You might also consider joining the smaller Facebook group, which is called the SSR Podcast Community. I do tend to spend most of my social media time on Instagram, but I'm trying to spread the love. If you're listening in real time, I'll be giving away a few copies of Allison's latest book, Cleo McDougall Regrets Nothing, on my page starting tomorrow, so be sure to check that out. If you're a fan of SSR and haven't already, please also be sure to check out the ratings and reviews page for the show on your listening platform of choice, and to leave a rating or review yourself if you haven't yet. I know I ask you to do this literally all the time, but I hope you know I wouldn't do it if it didn't really matter. And it does! Your ratings and reviews help new listeners find the podcast, but they're also a great way to give me feedback. If social media is more your speed, Instagram is another great place to share your feedback. Take a screenshot of this episode wherever you're listening to it, share it to your Instagram story, and let me know what you think of it, tagging SSRPod so I can see. No matter how or where you're sharing your feedback, I hope you know how much I appreciate it. A little extra appreciation goes out to all of the Patreon sponsors tuning in to episode 118. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, here's a quick explanation of Patreon. It's a platform that directly connects superfans of content produced by independent creators, like me, so they can support those creators with their dollars. SSR patrons can contribute as little as a dollar per month to earn some exclusive rewards, and there are different rewards at every tier of sponsorship. The support I get through Patreon allows me to cover the expenses necessary to keep the podcast going strong. And since SSR is not financially backed by a larger company or organization, I can't tell you how much that means to me. I'd love to have you on board so you can get in on fun rewards like SSR swag, newsletters, bonus episodes, on-demand book recommendations, and more. You can get more details at www.patreon.com slash SSR podcast 
or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. It is no secret that 2020 has been a tough year for all of us, and independent booksellers are certainly no exception. I am so proud to be part of the Libro FM family so I can help spread the word about how we can better support those independent booksellers. With the holiday shopping season upon us, we can really impact Q4 for these indies. Libro FM gives you a chance to do that while you shop for audiobooks. The audiobooks you get from Libro FM are exactly the same as the ones you would purchase from big corporations, and they're the same price too. Plus, SSR listeners can cash in on a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro FM. Go to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Thank you so much for your support for Libro FM and independent booksellers. When this episode drops, we will be exactly one week away from Election Day. This is your friendly but serious reminder to make sure that you make a plan to vote on or before November 3rd and then actually follow through with it. Your voice matters, and with so much at stake in our country right now, it has truly never been more important for the powers that be to hear it. I know the SSR community is going to come out strong to vote. One quick housekeeping note before we get into the episode, listeners. Next week is the start of New Reads November 2020. For four weeks only, my guests and I will be covering young adult novels published within the last year and talking about the changes that the kid-lit world has experienced over time. New Reads November is always a lot of fun, and I am especially excited about the book lineup this year. I will be back in December with more literary throwbacks, as usual. But trust me, you do not want to miss out on New Reads November. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Allison. Welcome to SSR. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. We're recording this in early October, but when all of you are listening to this, it's Halloween week, all things yeah. spooky. And Allison, I have a kind of controversial confession to make. I'm like not really a Halloween girl. It's so funny you say that. I'm not either, but well, I have two kids. They're teenagers now, but obviously at a certain point, I had to be much more enthusiastic about it. We live in LA now, and when we moved out here in New York, like everybody was, you took your kids out, but you could be fairly apathetic about it. And when we moved out here, it's like a big deal. And my friends were like, well, obviously you're going to dress up, right? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I'm like 35 at the time or whatever. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so one year in my 30s, I dressed up and that's about it. So how about you? Well, I just turned 30. And so my first couple of years that I was living in New York, like, of course, we like dressed up. I wore like mini ears and like a dress and went out. But even as a kid, I just I never loved it. I I think there are there's like a sweet spot maybe in your like elementary school years where it's fun. But my parents aren't super into Halloween. So I and especially I think someday if and when I have kids, like I'll get into it because I think everything's more fun, like when you're doing it with kids. But I just it's never been my thing. And I have all of these friends that are like, 
like my age and don't have kids, but who are all amped on Halloween. And it's sort of this like hilarious thing where everybody shames me for not loving Halloween. And I don't know, I feel like I'm in the minority. So I figured if nothing else, we can celebrate it with a Halloween episode of the podcast. And that will satisfy the listeners who are looking for Halloween content. So listeners, here you go. We're talking about Karen's Witch. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm right there with you. So I do like the candy that my kids get, but that's, you know, about the only thing. And this year, since they can't trick or treat, well, they're too really old to trick or treat, but they would still sort of go out with their friends, go to CVS and buy the candy. And that's, that just gives me my, my fix. So. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I did put out a bowl of candy corn in my house this morning. <laughs> We've been eating it for a while. Like, there are no rules anymore. Time is meaningless. So just pick it up and eat it. Doesn't matter. Candy corn isn't even good. It's like, let's be, it's not even good, but there's something really special about it. I think the texture of it, it's funny. My daughter brought home a bag last week and I was like, oh, candy corn. And I'm a candy fanatic, so I'll eat anything. So naturally I did pick it up and the taste is sort of blah, but there's a specific texture to it that I think makes it appealing. Maybe. I don't know. It's a very weird food, but listeners, (laughs) I highly recommend like in these strange times, you deserve to have a bag of candy corn at home or whatever else, That's right. whatever else is going to make you happy this Halloween season, cuddle up, listen to our episode, eat some candy. And we're just gonna, we're just going to carry on like at least for an hour, things are fine, which we know that they're not. But let's talk about the Babysitter's Club because that always kind of gets us around the sadness. So um, listeners, this is our first ever episode about the Babysitter's Club Little Sister series spinoff. So of course, listeners will know we've done a lot of episodes about sort of the core Babysitter's Club series and then the Babysitter's Little Sister, which is such a mouthful. Um, But that (laughs) spinoff started in 1988. And I didn't realize this, but there were 120 22 books in that spinoff series alone. Wow. Isn't that crazy? So I have a confession. As I said, I'm older than you. So I'm in my 40s and I'm guessing most of your listeners are younger. What's so interesting to me is I didn't discover the Babysitter's Club as a kid because by the time it came out, I was already a teenager, but I do have a daughter who has read them. But this was the first time I had sat down and read like a full one. I mean, her bookshelf was full of them when she was younger. And I mean, it was so delightful. Like I sat on the weekend and I read it through and I was like, I totally understand why all my younger friends, like I know the series came out, people are crazy for it. It's, it is great writing. It was so entertaining. It's such a great time to be a Babysitter's Club fan right now, like between I know that Audible put out the whole series in audio last year. Of course, the Netflix series, which was so fun to watch, especially in quarantine times. Like, my husband and I both loved it. Um, I know they're doing all of the graphic novels, which I see you have the uh, Karen's Witch in graphic novel, which is so cool. Um, I have the old school edition. And (laughs) I just think, like, now is the time. If you grew up with these girls, or even if you didn't, like you said, your daughter sounds like she's kind of coming to them in all these different new iterations. I yeah. think it's super cool. She read a bunch of them. I remember her fifth grade teacher. She's not a huge reader. It's just a, like, it's not what she would sit down and do. And her fifth grade teacher really turned her on to graphic novels, um, including a lot of these. And it 
switch something in her. And when I was reading this yesterday, again, because I'm sort of an older generation where graphic novels were not a big thing. I mean, I, I, again, I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted of your of your listeners. It was it was like reading something entirely new and so delightful. I was literally catching myself with a huge grin on my face, which these days is really something just flying through it. It, it was it was great. I mean, again, preaching to the converted, but I loved it. Yeah, so I I didn't read. I don't know that I read the like little sister books when I was growing up, or at, at least I didn't intentionally. So I read the like core Babysitters Club books about the twelve and right. thirteen year old girls when I was like right. seven or eight. So I was too young to be reading about them, but I was at that reading level, and I just like wanted to read everything. But then I have a feeling that I saw these little sister books, and I was like, "Oh, that's for babies." So I right. didn't read the little sister ones. But it's funny because when we watched the Netflix series, my husband and I were both obsessed with Karen. Like the Karen character was so funny, and I I don't think I realized that the entire little sister line, like every single one of the 122 books starts with the word Karen. So it's like Karen's birthday, Karen's yeah. witch, Karen's this. So um, we were joking and I was like, maybe you should read the Karen books. Like you love Karen so much. Maybe this is going to be your intro. <laughs> and this book, I mean, I read it in one sitting, not not, that, not yeah. as though the like normal Babysitter's Club books are that long, but this one was really short. It was really fun, like you said, just to sit down and breeze through it. Again, you know, I do not have the depth of familiarity that you do, but I thought she was so spunky. Like I know... I guess I can tell the ending, like she ends up getting in trouble a little bit. Yeah. But I thought it was awesome what she was doing, like her curiosity and her spunk. And I am a little sister and my daughter is the younger one. And I like, I love Karen. I'm a Karen fan. Like I would read more about Karen. So, um, you know, I think it makes sense that they took the series in this direction and gave her her own chance to shine. Well, it's perfect that you're the little sister because I'm the big yeah. sister and I'm also in a blended family like Karen. So sometimes I lose yeah. track, but with with all of the kids in my complicated blended family, I want to say I'm the oldest of like six or seven. Like there's a oh, lot wow. of us and I don't see all so of those. That's a whole dynamic. Oh, like the whole book. dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't see all of those siblings often, but there's like, I see four of them very often and I'm the oldest, and those four are all girls. So I'm the oldest sister of all of these sisters. That's so, a whole series oh, into and on itself. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, there's my novel right there, but it's perfect because right. I have, like, the big sister, like, Christy perspective, and you have the Karen perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't, like, a troublemaker, but I would say, you know, the younger siblings are always usually getting their hands into a little more mischief than the rule-abiding elders. Uh, and again, I have an older son, a younger daughter, and I would say that's true as well. And they're more usually without, you know, making any stereotypical leaps. They're usually a little more independent. You know, they're taking a little more risk. And so I, yeah, I thought that was totally reflective. And I thought it was hilarious when they kept saying no more spying, no more. And she just like she couldn't stop her curiosity from going and seeing if their neighbor was a witch. She's like, "Girls got to spy." I just that's have to right. Do it. That's right. And like she grabbed her best friend, and they burst into this meeting. And I just I thought it was delightful. And I actually thought the grandmother, who seemed actually the one who was really mad, maybe because she was embarrassed. I was sort of like, "That's an overreaction." But then again, I'm the younger kid who was probably stirring up a little more trouble. So it's your team Karen on this one. <laughs> yeah, team Karen. I, totally, I really am. I, she reminded me a lot of my daughter who um, sometimes you just, you know, curious 
sort of stubborn kids do what they want. And I always say this to my husband about my daughter because it, I feel like it was reflective of myself. Like sometimes in the moment when they're teenagers, my daughter's 13, that stubbornness is frustrating to their parents or at Karen's age, but I feel like it often pays off in adulthood. So if we were to see Karen in her progression, I feel like she'd be a slayer if she gets older. Oh yeah. So, she's wherever she is, she's doing something very cool right now. That's right. That's that's right. Yeah. So. so my notes on this book, I have them I have them in three different buckets. So my first bucket okay. is stuff about divorce. Yeah. <laughs> my the second bucket is stuff about imagination because I thought mm-hmm. that this book was such Love. it was such a great example of like how a kid's imagination works. And then the third bucket is stuff about wanting adults to believe you. <laughs> Oh, um, that's interesting. That didn't actually, the, the first two obviously occurred to me, but let's talk it through. I didn't, that's a great point. Yeah. Just because I felt like, and we will, we'll get to it more specifically, but for me, like the sort of emotion that kept bubbling up in Karen was like, but listen, listen, please. Like yeah. I know, I, especially with her big sister and maybe it's because of the big sister in me, I was very tuned into the fact that Christy was not listening to her. Oh, that's so interesting. And that's as the younger sibling, I just was like, okay, she's going to just keep trying to prove it because that's what struck a chord with me. That's so interesting. And also, I'm sure it speaks to the, as you were saying, there's so many siblings and sort of, you know, there was a lot going on in that household. And so she just kept trying and trying. But we can work through your points. All my, all my buckets. So the yeah. general setup is that this is so. This is the first book in the Little Sisters series. At this point, readers who are introduced to the Babysitters Club already kind of have a sense of who of who Karen is. She, as we've mentioned, is Christie's younger stepsister. She is Watson's daughter. And as we know from the Babysitters, kind of like core canon, Watson has a lot of money, so he lives in this big house. And I was sort of, I thought it was interesting that in Karen's intro about her family and about the two sides of her family, and maybe this is different in the graphic novel, you'll have to tell me, at least in this intro or the first chapter, Karen is very clear that like her dad lives in the big house and her mom lives in the little house, which I thought, of course, me being 30, I was like, hmm, like, tell me what happened. Like, why? Why does he get the mansion? And she is in this like small house. Totally agree. I, it was established within the first few pages in, in an image. And I also, I mean, it, it was immediately the setup, uh, which is fine. Not to say it bothered me, but I thought, I, I mean, I'm sure it is also reflective of some divorced families, and that's probably why they did it. I felt like it was a little dated. That was one aspect that, again, maybe they were trying for sort of a realism. I felt like it was a little misogynistic, but because I don't have familiarity with the whole breadth of the series, I was just sort of like, okay, I guess this has been established that maybe the mom's remarriage, they have not been as... Uh, you know, affluent as the father, but yeah, that jumped out at me as well. I was like, I want the dirt on what happened because I feel (laughs) like there's something here. But yeah, Watson, I think, has family money. I'm actually, as I mentioned, I didn't read these books a ton as a kid, so I'm still kind of learning too. And I didn't know anything about Karen's mom before reading this book. I will say that I found in my research that at some point in the Little Sisters series, Karen decides that she wants to start splitting her time between the two houses instead of spending more time with her mom and then just alternating weekends at her dad's because she really misses the extended family. And that was one another thing that I thought was interesting. Again, I feel like if it had been published in 2020, this might have been a little different. It was very clear 
She spends, I think, every other weekend at her dad's. Again, in divorced families, this may happen, but I think had this been written today, the disparity between the wealth and the time spent might have been written a little bit differently. Why not make the mom the one with the huge house? So, yeah, you know, that's sort of reflective, I think, of sort of older tropes. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that they didn't make any of those updates in the graphic novel. I mean, I guess there's a part of me that is happy that they didn't make all of these content changes just because I think it's it's nice that they've kept some of more of the story intact than I would have guessed. But also those details would have been fairly easy to adjust. Yeah, and I obviously I took from the book that it was very um, sort of pro girl and like she she's her own young woman or young child, whatever, independent. But from the get-go, that I, I, I was a little bothered by that. But again, when you, that's sort of coming into it with the knowledge that we have now, and I think so much is looked at from a different lens, certainly than as a child of the 80s than when I was growing up. You know, I mean, we're seeing that all over society now. So that's just probably what it is. It's like when you watch a movie from the 80s. And like I watched The Breakfast Club with my kids recently. The best. And I, oh my God, it's so, it's so great. And yet, like Judd Nelson is clearly sexually harassing Molly Ringwald, like in yeah. extreme ways now. Mm-hmm. And that was just like, it was a great movie at the time. So some of that is just like, I'm not going to be too hard on the book for that. But it, it definitely stood out as something that would probably be written differently today. Yeah, and I will say that Karen's schedule, as as I guess we'll call it here, is very reflective of the way that my schedule mm-hmm. was in the very early yeah. years of my parents' divorce. So my parents got divorced when I was two. As listeners know by now, you're probably all tired of hearing about it. But <laughs> my parents got divorced when I was two. And for the first couple of years, um, it was pretty consistent. Like every other weekend, I was with my dad. And, and I think that reading the first few pages of this book it made me wish that I had been a little bit less of a snob when I was growing up because Karen's voice as a child of divorce, I think would have felt really refreshing to me and Mm. would have made me feel very seen. So again, I'll be curious to see how much of this um, is reflected in the graphic novel, but listeners, excuse any page turning, but the first page of the book just says, hi, I am Karen Brewer. I'm six going on seven years old, and I think I'm very lucky. I'm lucky because I have two families. Most people only have one, but my brother Andrew and I have two. I have two of lots of other things. I have two houses, and she goes on to list all the things that she has two of. Oh, I love that they kept that, and but I can see how that probably lends itself. Yeah, that must lend itself really well to the graphic novel. Yeah, and there's a it demonstrate it shows the different rules between mommy's rules and daddy's rules, which I thought was actually I am not a child of divorce, but I felt like that would probably be quite comforting to. Uh, kids who are reading this, who uh, are going through sort of a potentially tumultuous time. And it does show, uh, I don't know if you can see, not that we're showing video, but it does show this smaller house. Mommy and Seth live at a little house and a whole bunch of people live at the big house. It's fine. I mean, I'm sure that's true for plenty of kids of divorce, the disparity in income. So... Yeah, it, is, it is weird that they showed the picture of it. I kind of agree yeah. with you that that's, that's really depressing. I mean, I guess you could say, yeah. like, there's only four of them. It's a smaller family. But it's weird to see it, like, drawn right. out. You could. I mean, I guess, again, I, I have no problem with them being literal in how it was written. And it does not need to be updated for the times, per the Breakfast Club analogy. But I would say you could say, since there are only four of us, we have a smaller house. Right. And since there are so many of us, we live in a bigger house. But it was clearly about income. Again, which is... I mean, to be fair, also, I guess, an honest thing for children, and that's 
fine too. But yeah, it, it did jump out at me a little bit. And maybe because it was so visual right here. Yeah. yeah, I thought it, but I noticed it even in print too. So we're on the same yeah. page there. And then she goes on to say, here are the good things about having two families, two birthday parties, two Christmases, and all those other twos. Someone can always take care of you when you are sick. Mommy won't let Andrew and me eat candy, but daddy will. So we fill up at his house to our point about Halloween, I guess. And then she <laughs> says, here are the bad things about having two families, different rules. At mommy's house, always put your toys back in the toy box. No running indoors, no Saturday morning cartoons. At daddy's house, never leave the TV on if you're not watching it. Keep the closet door shut. No spying on the neighbors. I forget the spying rule a lot. And I, to your point about seeing that drawn out in the graphic novel, I just think that's really well done. Yeah. And that sort of rules thing was something I actually hadn't thought about in a long time. Again, I'm 30. But that was a thing that, like, even now, if I really sit down and think about it, I can remember there were different rules, different expectations. My dad and my stepmom had three other children so they you know were parenting with a certain set of rules and they had much younger children so I was getting used to that and now I have stepchildren on my mom's side so just kind of like figuring out the dynamics of both families when you're little it's hard to understand that mm-hmm. and luckily I'm a very I'm very much a rule follower I'm not a Karen so it's very easy the for me child. right I was like I can handle this like I know exactly what yeah. to do let me write it down in a notebook right. so I was able to keep track but that felt very real to me and then there was also a moment where again I'm sorry for the page turning but there's a moment where um where Karen is is talking to Andrew about going to the big house and she's like aren't we lucky and she takes her job of being a big sister very care very seriously which I thought was cute um and he says yep and she says I didn't think he meant it he doesn't always like having two families sometimes I don't either it can get confusing I was grateful for that too interesting I don't see that really in in the book I'm we go what we dive right into seeing the witch okay so the, you skip a witch that. Lives next door yeah but that is interesting and there's a, there's an image here i don't know if this is in the text where it's well obviously the image isn't but it says the big house is noisy and busy and someone is always there to play with me but the image actually she looks a little daunted by it huh. um so maybe they condensed it to sort of be like it's big and noisy, which is not always a positive thing, but right. somebody is always there to play with her. Yeah, that line of text is is word for word in this version yeah. as well. But yeah, that one little conversation that she has with Andrew I found interesting and kind of oddly nuanced because uh, I have sure. to say, like when I read that first page where she's like, I'm so lucky I have two families the like child mm-hmm. in me had this gut reaction of like that's what my mom always says because you know like right. when, growing up when <laughs> I would have days where I felt sad my mom would be like you're so lucky you have two families and there's there's a part of that I, that I think is great and I think it's lovely to lead with that in a book for kids who might be looking right. for that kind of optimistic take on this kind of a situation but I, I was glad that the author also reflected that like there might be kids who don't feel like this is the most positive situation all the time and sure. that's okay too and then there was another really kind of like nuanced line and I wonder if that's in the graphic novel where one of Christie's brothers I forget which one there are like so many kids in the family <laughs> but one of the brothers so one of Watson's stepsons I, I guess we're meant to believe that he he kind of tries to make Karen feel bad because he gets to be with her dad all the time oh it's um, it's really teeny it's like one sentence you w- you wouldn't even notice it necessarily but I did because that's what I do for these podcast episodes so I didn't notice that I just felt like the brothers didn't 
really want to spend a lot of time with her because they said like we have plans and yeah. So that was sort of my, it it was much more about Christy rewinding a little bit about the rules Um, in the graphic novel under different rules, instead of, you know, writing it out, they have it in an image uh, under mommy's rules and daddy's rules. And under daddy's rules, obviously there's no spying on the neighbors and it's highlighted with a bunch of like little lines, like as if this is something that she does (laughs) all the time. And not knowing what this was going to be. I mean, obviously it was going to be about a witch or whatever, but that jumped out at me immediately. Like, is she always spying on neighbors? Why are they constantly trying to keep her from spying on neighbors? It made me really curious about her and sort of feeling like she was a badass who was like on neighborhood watch a lot. I don't know. It was an interesting graphic novel choice that seems intentional. I mean, maybe they were just signaling to the reader, like that's what this is going to be about. Yeah. But it made me feel like she gets in trouble a lot. For it, which maybe she does as we get further on into the book. It's a very specific thing to get in trouble for. That's, that's right. <laughs> I was not, right. I mean, like I said, I was sort of like a pathological rule follower, but I think of any rule that I would have like been tempted to break, like I don't know that I ever would have considered spying. I After I read Harriet the Spy, which is a whole other conversation <laughs> and a very weird reread. I'll link that conversation in the show notes yeah. for those who want to listen. But after I read that book and I was always wanted to be a writer, was always writing as a kid. And so then of course I had my notebook and like would occasionally creepily walk around and like transcribe people's conversations. But that didn't last long and it was very <laughs> sure. it was it was not like I wasn't trying to go out and like spy on neighbors or strangers. It was mostly just like me writing down everything my mom said. I never would have thought to do this. I just want to say I think that that is what a lot of writers do like we yeah. observe behavior in people so maybe that's why I wasn't as alarmed by what Karen was doing I just took it to be like a creative mind yeah like she was curious and she thought a witch lived next door so yeah. of course she was going to spy on her of course know? yeah so, so she gets yeah. the big house we find out that she's convinced yeah. that there's a witch next door we are told that the witch says her name is Mrs. Porter but her name is actually Morbida Destiny and I yes. I just wanted to find out where Karen got that name. <laughs> As a six-year-old, she, she's ahead of her time. I don't know, but I love this description. Smells funny, wispy gray hair, long black robes, and I love that her cat is named Midnight. Oh, yeah. an herb garden for spells. I mean, I thought Karen was quite prescient, uh, <laughs> you know, and like a little smarty pants. So I was, I, I, I was impressed. I really liked that Karen had an answer for everything. So now I guess we're moving into yeah. my like imagination bucket, although these buckets are oh, yeah. bullshit and we don't really need yeah. to go by them. But <laughs> they're um, very fluid. They're very fluid. I think yeah. the thing that I thought that was so interesting was like anytime somebody, whether it was her sister or her friend Hanny who came over later on, anytime somebody sort of like had a point to make to her that indicated that Mrs. Porter slash Morbid of Destiny was not a witch. Karen could explain it away. Like, she knew why the witch wasn't on the broomstick. She was like, well, she doesn't need it tonight. You know, there's always an answer. She's clearly very smart. And I I do think that that's such a, I think that's such a thing that kids, the kids are always two or three steps ahead. That's right. And I mean, particularly, you know, she has dreams about, we'll get ahead of it, but this is consuming her. And so she has logically convinced herself that her neighbor is a witch and have, I have two kids, uh, and I was a very sort of active imagination child, it, you know, it's easy to go to, even as an adult. Like, you know, you can convince yourself of a lot of things 
you know, in an adult world, it's probably not a witch, but like you start on WebMD and you can back up all of your facts yep. as to why you suddenly have a fatal disease, which is not something to joke about in this current time. But right. uh, you can see how Karen can go from A to B to C to D just with circum, what, what's the word in legal terms? Circumstantial evidence. Ah, yes. So, legal yeah. legalese here on yeah. SSR. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a lawyer, but it I sounded better mouth. It sounded yeah, really good. But I like that she she wanted to be a hero. Like, that's what I mm-hmm. found really interesting. Like, I, I wasn't quite sure if she... I at least had a hard time putting my finger on this, and maybe maybe you have a better sense of it, but I couldn't tell if she was scared of the witch. She is scared of the dark. We know that. Like, she's really into her nightlight. But we, I at least couldn't figure out if she was really afraid of the witch or if she was mostly... She, she had the sense of responsibility that she needed to find out for sure if her neighbor was a witch and then she had a plan she was going to let all the neighbors know because she didn't want anything to happen to them and then she was hopeful that the mayor would throw her a parade and she would be a hero (laughs) and I I I loved that for her she was neighborhood watch yeah I mean my sense of it was that it was a combination of all of them she felt like it was her duty but there is clearly a whole passage where she is spying with Hanny with her friend where she is very scared, as demonstrated by these images. You know, they're holding hands. She, her eyes are bugging in these images. But she did it anyway. And I think that is such, like, an important message for kids who are reading this. Like, uh, not with the whole spine thing, but she was fearful, but she felt like it was still the right thing to do, even if it were, you know, wildly imaginative, that she was going to press through that. And she asked her best friend for support, which is another great underlying theme for both children and adults. And she's like, yeah, this is terrifying, but this is too important to not go peek over the hedges or not burst in on her meeting. So she, in that sense, was quite heroic. She faced her fear and did it anyway. So... Love that. Love that about her. I also, I put on my blended family hat again and my child of divorced family hat again. And I think like she wanted to do something to set her apart from these like million other kids that live at the house. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, that is, I, I think you're right. Again, this is why it's so interesting to read, you know, from different perspectives. It didn't occur to me, but I think that that's probably right, you know, and I think she also wanted to be protective of her family and that could be her role as well, which is actually not necessarily a younger sibling role often that you see, but go Karen. Go Karen. I think she doesn't, I, well, she's used to being the older sibling. Here I right. am. I'm going to oh, psychoanalyze true. her. So she's yeah. used to being the older sibling when she's at her mom. So for all these years, I, and I don't quite know the chronology. I don't think the author really even knows the chronology of like how long <laughs> they've been married at this point, but right. Karen at one time was the older sister and now she's like at least I think maybe second to youngest or third to youngest she and David Michael are very close in age so she's like this is a brand new dynamic for her that she has to negotiate she's used to protecting Andrew and sort of standing up for him all the time and she I'm sure like wants her dad to still see her that way as like I'm still the big sister like I can still stand up for the family and so I thought the fact that we kept coming back to this theme of her wanting to be the hero was really interesting. That is, I mean, such a smart point. And again, I mean, as an author, I think it's so interesting how people can read things totally from their own lens and get into sort of nitty gritty details that 
wouldn't occur to me, but I think you're right. And that's what's, again, putting like on my writer hat, that's such an interesting perspective to talk to somebody who didn't grow up as I did and find something, you know, a totally different nuance from it. I think, I think that's right. And also maybe she wanted to be taken more seriously with the rest of her siblings, with Christy. Maybe she wanted to prove something to her that she's not just this little kid because she could be an adult. I mean, the the older child uh, in her other, in her other life. Yeah. I'm also working on my MFA right now, so I'm an even more intense reader than usual. So that's like putting my 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 other podcast instincts are like in overdrive. So I'm just I'm analyzing every little yeah, detail. No, so forgive me. I mean, no, I'm not. I, I think that's genuinely awesome because as a as an author, you know, the feedback that you get from readers comes from all of their own lived experiences. So what if one book might work for somebody, might not work for somebody else, or even if it's worked for somebody what they can take out of a book is wildly different from person to person. So it's so interesting to hear that wouldn't have occurred to me, but I think you were correct. My only experience is I have an older brother. I'm the younger sister. That's what I have in my house right now too. So I, I, I just, I think you're totally spot on. Hmm. It's very smart. And sometimes I bet that sometimes the author doesn't even, doesn't even occur to her and she's just writing and people can intuit what, you know, resonates with them from their own experience. So And her characters just take on a life of their own, I think, especially yeah. when you have this many books. I think uh, all together sure. there's like 300 or 400 like distinct ba- Babysitter's Club slash spinoff titles. So I, at a certain level, I'm sure they just kind of like go yeah. off and live their lives without her even That's having right. control over she knows, them. She knows their voice or whomever, I don't, whoever is writing them uh, knows the voice. And that's it's more about the story probably than the minutia of every single thing aligning uh, chronologically or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. So things take a turn when Karen and Hanny are spying again and they hear (laughs) (laughs) Morbida Destiny talking about what we think maybe she's talking to her cat, but she's saying the word midnight, which is what makes this whole thing confusing because the cat's name is midnight, but she's talking about a meeting. So my favorite part of this book happens when Karen takes this information and she's like, okay, great. She's going to have a meeting of the witches at midnight tonight. So here's my plan. She says, this is my plan. The alarm clock would wake me up. So she sets the alarm for like just before midnight. The alarm clock would wake me up. I would look out of my window. I would watch all the witches flying to Morbida Destiny's house. I would watch them park their brooms on her roof and her lawn. I would watch them go inside. Then if they started to do anything they shouldn't, I would wake up the whole neighborhood. It was a great plan. I would be a hero. And then what happens, Allison? <laughs> then dawn comes and the alarm has not gone off, which yes. was I, it was great. In the graphic novel, by the way, they show this by showing the moon going down and the sun coming up. And I thought it was again. I'm not a frequent graphic novel reader. I thought it was so well done because I was like, "What's going to happen?" And then it just displayed it perfectly that didn't go off she slept through and she's convinced that i bet she put a spell on the whole neighborhood right. too something to keep us all asleep that's the only way to hold a witch meeting of course and in this image uh that morbid of destiny is just too smart she looks so annoyed that like she was outsmarted by it like she's getting ready she's putting her hair up in a ponytail what did they talk about what did they decide there's only one way to find out spy without getting caught and i it's funny that you say this was one of your favorite passages because it was mine too, because she's like even more determined, like her plan went awry and she's like, you know what? I'm getting back in there. And then in this next scene, again, I, 
I loved how this was drawn. Like her dad's talking about going over to Mrs. Porter's and she's like, is daddy crazy? And her eyes are like the size of her face. <laughs> uh, like she's so shocked oh, no. by, you know, how reckless her dad could be right now. Um, <laughs> I just thought, again, it was a perfectly drawn picture of like a child with an amazing imagination. So, and who really believed that she was right. Yeah, I mean, she actually, she believes everything that she believes so deeply. This is not a game. The stakes are high. It's just a matter of catching this woman in the act of being a witch. But I was just, like, missing the alarm. That was such a hilarious twist to me. I know. Because it was something that would happen to a six-year-old or would happen to me. Like, I just think it's so relatable. it's funny that you say that because I was also, like, she's six is she really gonna be like while I was reading this I was sort of like my suspension of disbelief was like really like is she gonna be able to do that alarm thinking she was quite precocious and that it didn't work was the right way to write it for me like yeah of course that that didn't work so yeah yeah plus and then I guess if it had worked then Anna Martin or whoever wrote it would have had to figure out like it would have been too hard for her to get out of the house in the middle of the night like it would have been but then of course she finds out that it's actually it's happening the next day at noon or no yeah she's it's happening the next day so she calls Hanny (laughs) first of all at least in my in my 1988 edition of course she calls the house phone which I thought was a great throwback (laughs) And also brought back all these like waves of anxiety for me of like having to call somebody's house phone and being like, hi, this is Allie. Can I talk to Kat? And every time it just made my heart beat out of my chest. When the parents, well, particularly when you're like a teenager and the parents call or you're waiting by the phone so your parents don't pick up. Yeah. I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. 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 Also in the graphic novel, the alarm clock is very old school. It looks like something from like uh, oh gosh, 1960. Is. So, or whatever. Uh, so yeah, again, this was all, it certainly did go along with the times, even though this was written more recently. Like she doesn't have an iPhone alarm, which maybe she could have set accurately. Yeah, she probably doesn't know how to use, I mean, Karen of 2020 yeah. wouldn't really know how to use that kind of an alarm clock. That's right, correct. But I appreciate that her <laughs> parents pretend, to. yeah, I would not know yeah. how to do So she calls Hanny and she's like, I was wrong about the witch meeting. Because again, she has an answer for everything. She's like, oh, if this didn't work the first time, I have a perfectly reasonable explanation. And she actually is right. This meeting that they had heard Mrs. Porter talking about the day before it didn't happen at midnight the night before because nobody's going to have a meeting at midnight. It's happening the next day. And so Hanny comes over and again I'll be curious to hear if this was in the graphic novel but while she's talking to Hanny she says I guess Hanny asks her if she's seeing any brooms and Karen says well that's the weird thing they're not coming on brooms they're coming in cars I don't know why (laughs) like she's gonna explain it away that's right I mean again well they they show her sweeping her steps with her broom um but yes then everybody just starts to arrive with the cars and she's like who are these people they don't look very witchy a casserole cookies books but with witches it's hard to tell which is true i guess right uh i should say i i went back and then she goes and gets hanny but i thought that was as you said i mean she's a super smart kid who is quite determined a combination of which will serve her well later in life if she can learn to stop spying unless she wants to be a writer and then maybe she should just keep spying A journalist. I mean, there are a lot of ways to go with this curiosity. So. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So she she rehearses what she's going to say. Hanny comes over and she's like, "Okay, I'm go- I'm gonna we're gonna barge in there, and then I'm gonna say, okay, all you witches and warlocks, we know what you're up to. You better leave our neighborhood alone.'" <laughs> 
Yeah, and I should say I really liked the part where she learned what a warlock was. Yes, that was good. Um, where she's like, they're male witches? This is like worse <laughs> than I thought. Uh, so that, I thought that was quite delightful. Yes, and I thought it was quite brave that she rings the doorbell. I felt like that was that took a lot of courage. And so, again, uh, just another reflection on sort of what a badass this kid is. Like, she doesn't try to, like, peek in the window. She goes up and she not only rings the doorbell, but she asks to come in, which I was, like, nervous because, you know, if you see that on a TV show, you think something's going to go wrong. Of course, it's a child's book, so it's or a young adult, young middle grade book, so that wasn't going to happen. But I just, I, I, I love that, that she was forthright. She rang the bell. She wanted to come in. She had something to say. But even at a social level, like I, I mean, I just admitted that how afraid it always made me to call a landline, to knock on a door. Oh. Even now, I'm like, oh, maybe they oh won't be home. God. Maybe they won't be home. I mean, obviously, I'm not knocking any doors right now in 2020. Right. <laughs> but generally speaking, when I have to walk up to a door, especially if it's somebody I don't know or if I'm going to a party, I'm always kind of like, oh, maybe I'll just be open and I can just walk in. Or maybe I can just, like, leave whatever I have on the doorstep. Like, maybe we can just get this awkward interaction altogether. But Karen doesn't have any of that. She is just ready no. to barge in. She is a woman That's on right. a mission. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And I, you know, she just went right in in front of all the adults, which I thought, again, really spoke to her character, how self-confident she was, which, again, I really appreciated as a younger sister. And she, you know, ahem, ahem, excuse me, I want to, we know your secret, we know your witches and warlocks. <laughs> and I just thought, I mean, it's wildly crazy, but she believed in herself. And I, again, maybe this is my perspective as the younger sister. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was very cool of her. Like, if you if you come to this conclusion that your neighbor is a witch, <laughs> if, if, you, if you believe that in your heart and no one is listening to you, because to right. be fair, she asked her sister to help. Like, she told a grown-up, which is what you're supposed to do right. when you're a kid, right? Like, get a grown-up. She got all the grown-ups. She got the babysitters. Like, she tried her best and nobody was right, listening. Right, right, right. So now she's going to go straight to the source. And what else are you going to do if not show up at their meeting and make a statement, which is what happens. And then she finds out because her other grandmother, so not Watson's mother, but her mom's mom, Grandma Packet, is there. And we had gotten a hint earlier in the book. So we kind of, you maybe could have seen this coming, um, at least as an adult reader, because there's a note that we know that, that Karen's grandmother is friends with the supposed witch next door but her grandmother does happen to be there at the meeting and she comes out of the group of of adults um and is not very happy and we find out that this is actually a meeting of the stony brook gardeners club and i want to say one thing first of all great continuity from the beginning of the book but karen's first reaction in the imagery the grandma looks really mad but grandma uh, karen's first reaction is to say grandma you're a witch too which just like she's so into this idea yeah. that she cannot be dissuaded. And again, I'm I'm obviously so team Karen. I just I loved it. Like she couldn't even like see the reality right there to sort of come to her senses there. And as I said at the beginning, I I wasn't crazy from the perspective of a child of how irritated the grandma looked in this and that could just be the drawing of it and maybe with just the words like she looked really mad I guess she was embarrassed and I was looking at it from Karen's perspective but also as a parent of two kids you know sometimes kids have like wild imaginations and do things like the grandma looked really mad 
And it was sort of like, well, I don't know. I thought it was cute what you did. Like, maybe it's a 2020 thing. Like, in 2020, if somebody accused you of being a witch, you, like, sort of find it amusing. And maybe in, like, the late 80s, it was, I don't know, more of a thing or whenever this was originally published. I feel like it would have to be more obscene now to be really mad. Like, we've been desensitized. But that was me. I'm a casual parent, so. Well, they would have to I show up, like, to... doing, like, the savage TikTok dance or something. Right, that's, that's what I mean. <laughs> I think that, again, this is more reflective of the times. Like, right. this wasn't something that I would be wildly angry about. Like, I felt like, just in terms of the writing, sort of some of these older people might just find it amusing. Yeah. And, like, not angry. But she had a po- the writer had a point to make, so that's fine. Well, I you just, know. I couldn't stop thinking about how silly they must have looked. Because, again, I don't know. I assume that they had this in the graphic novel. But in the original text, they do a spell. Like, as soon as the witches and oh, the yeah. adults start standing up, they, they say, here are the witches. We'll give them a whack so they can't hurt yes. us and they'll never come back. And I'm like, you, yes. you look like that's such fools. Right. That's right when the grandma interrupts her and she, you hear her yell, Karen Brewer. Uh, well, that's what I mean. So that's why I was sort of like, wouldn't they, again, maybe this is a generational thing. Like, wouldn't they sort of find it adorable that they were doing this? But we'll go with it because there was a message, you know, there was a moral of the story that she shouldn't have been spying, which was the end of when right. she brought her back to her parents. So, yeah. yeah, but I just was like, they look, they look so silly. Like, they, I, they must have looked so <laughs> ridiculous. But I guess, like, maybe a grandparent's generation would be... I can see, like, my, my parents maybe thinking it was funny, but my grandparents right. maybe not. That's... Yes. I, it's you know probably what? generational. Point. I'm, I'm the parent generation yeah. now. So I think my parents would sort of... Again, the witch thing, maybe they would find amusing, but there are things now that they would find you know, offensive. Or, Horrifying. You know. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we were FaceTiming yesterday, and my 13-year-old like told me to shut up, and my parents, which is, she's a 13-year-old kid, like, whatever. It's the whole dynamic, and my parents were like, Amelia! And so there's things <laughs> that can, you know, don't talk to your mom that way. And I was like, oh, it's just like living with a teenager in a, a pandemic. So, <laughs> you know, I think maybe that is, again, taking it back to the, the times, like there are things now that grandparents would find a little more offensive than being called a witch, which they might just find cute. But yeah. we'll go with it. But I will say back to, you know, the whole imagination bucket, Karen and Hanny stuck tight, saying their spell in front of the adults till the very end. So again, more that I liked about about them. They committed. So, yeah. <laughs> she, maybe she'll be an actor, like oh, full yeah. commitment. Like a method actor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she'd be great at that. So, she, she would be. <laughs> I was thinking about the awkwardness of then Grandma Packet having to bring Karen home mm. to her former son in law's house. Like, that's an interesting dynamic oh. that I wouldn't have appreciated as a kid. And again, we don't know how long they've been divorced. Like, who knows how long it's been since they saw each other. So that's kind of icky. That must have not made Watson feel very great. Um, or Elizabeth, the stepmom. And, you know, I wonder if Karen's spying was a problem at both households because maybe she just brought her over because she was embarrassed. But, you know, she makes them come over and say, tell them what you've done. And it doesn't actually explain in the text if she says I was spying. Well, she does say to her dad I was spying. But maybe Karen's like a peeping Tom everywhere. So the <laughs> maternal grandmother knows about it. I don't know. She's, it's common knowledge in town. Everybody <laughs> yeah, knows. That's right. That's right. They're like signs up. They're, They're like classic Karen. Always right. spying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is a good 
a good point. But I, you know, we'll assume maybe this whole inner, this whole blended family is a very good relationship since the maternal grandma can do this. And it seems like everybody gets along very well. Yeah. I'm looking for the drama, obviously. Yeah. I'm like, tell me what's <laughs> happening with the adults. Um, so in the end, at well, least in my yeah. edition, the dad tells her that she's not in big trouble because she was trying to do something brave, which I thought was really nice. Totally agree. And I was... After reading the grandma's reaction, I was a little nervous. And then I felt like her punishment, which I think you were going to get to, where she has to write a letter of apology, I thought that was appropriate. And I thought that was great that they handled it that way. I felt like the lesson was, was taught but not overly harsh. It was a very Babysitter's Club kind of ending. There's a lot of, like, notes written in Babysitter's Club books. I think that, like, the typesetters and the designers of these books just love to use handwriting because they use handwriting as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So at least in the old editions of the books, you have sort of this, like, serif font throughout, and then you'll randomly have, like, weird fonts that are supposed to be handwriting of the different babysitters, and then, of course, in this case, it's Karen, and she says, Dear Mrs. Porter, I'm sorry I ruined your meeting. I'm sorry I called you and your friends witches. I did not mean it. I am very, very sorry. Um, And she promises Um, not to spy anymore, so it's all, it seems like all as well. Again, I love this about her. I'm, like, I'm such a troublemaker, which maybe, again, sort of speaks to my personality, but she says, I promise not to spy anymore. And then the next page, she says, I won't spy very much, only when I really need to, (laughs) which, again, I love because it spoke to me. She's going to do what she has to do, and I appreciate that. Yeah, that's straight out of the old book, too. I mean, if there's another witch threatening her family or any other scary mythical or non-mythical creature human, alien, whatever, she's going to get to the bottom of it. And in the end, she says, uh, maybe she really did have a gardening meeting, but she's still a witch. And then (laughs) Morbida Destiny is a witch, a clever witch. And she's looking out the window with like these slanted eyebrows as if she's really onto something. And then it, it concludes with, and I'm the only one who knows it, with Morbida Destiny looking out her window at her in the car. It like, it was like a first part in a series where this could happen again. And I, again, just, I'm a Karen fan, Team Karen. Good. I do think Morbida Destiny, like, comes up. I think even in a Netflix adaptation, I think there was, there was, like, a reference to the witch next door. I think this yeah. is, like, a th- like a runner throughout the series. So yeah. we just get into it more in this book, which I appreciated. On the whole, do you feel like this reading of... Karen's Witch met your expectations. I know you came into it without a ton of yeah. background in Babysitter's Club. Was this about what you thought it would be? Did it hold up? Was it disappointing? Did you like it more? I legitimately really liked it. As I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm a little older. I, I missed this whole series by a few years. Like I was sort of on to like Stephen King by the time this came out because I was a teenager or a young teenager, and I did read Stephen King as a young teenager. But as I said, my daughter has some of these, or had some of these in her bookshelf. I thought it was delightful. Like, I thought that the message was clear. I thought Karen was an awesome heroine. And I thought the graphics were really well done. I, as I think I said, I thought that the imagery conveyed some things that the words alone didn't, which if I had been reading, I suppose my imagination could have taken me maybe there anyway. But just seeing the expressions on some of their faces or going back to that note, you know, the rules you can't spy. I just I thought it really enhanced it. Like I legitimately loved it. Like I think I'll go watch the series now, which I haven't because again, it was a little bit after my time. Did I say ahead of my time last time? I meant after my time. So 
I thought it was great. Like, I love Karen. I really do. I love her. We need more Karens. This yeah, is a, we need to sure. stop talking about the bad Karens. I was going to say. And we need to start talking about the good Karens. They need to, like, rebrand themselves. Like, hire somebody to get out there and start a, a good Karen, a babysitter's Karen uh, <laughs> Twitter feed. Yeah, this is the so, Karen to do it, I think. Yeah. I know. I, I really liked it. And I was, I read it over the weekend. And I was so glad that you had asked me to do this. Because if not, I, I really wouldn't have. Um, and I just... I thought it was really delightful. Well, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Other than Karen's Witch, what have you been reading lately and enjoying that you would recommend to our listeners? So I feel like I read so much now. It's sort of my, the way that I self-soothe at night. My, I mean, my favorite book of the year, which I read late, probably to most readers, was The Vanishing Half. I just thought it was, I, I hadn't, I didn't pick it up right away because of all the hype and I'm always sort of wary about is it going to live up to my expectations? I truly loved it. I just thought it was brilliant. I just read, and I really liked it. Uh, I'm not sure. I think this is going to be how people feel right now in a pandemic. I just read um, Devolution or Devolution by Max Brooks. It's sort of a horror thing about the Sasquatch. It was really good. It was dark. But if like that's what you want for the times, then uh, I thought it was really well done and then as sort of a palate cleanser for that I read a book which is probably not my usual read but I think I got it on like a Kindle Daily Deal and I needed a new book so I grabbed it and it was called um, When the Forest Meets the Stars it was really soothing it reminded me a lot of Where the Crawdads Sing sort of a fish out of water that's not the right way to describe it but it it was I I don't know it was really like page turning but pleasant and I think I usually gravitate towards like edgier things but in this time like when it's hard to turn off your brain I I really loved it like I just recommended it to my mom so and next up for me is I don't know if you've read this is well-behaved Indian woman which I'm really excited to to read a lot of my friends have loved it so I haven't read it yet. I will second your recommendation for The Vanishing Half. Have you read her other book, oh. The Mothers? No, you know, it's so interesting. I'm going to go back to it. I believe when it came out, I started it. And for me, reading, it's like what I just said. It's all about sort of where you are yeah. in the moment. Like, and, and I think I was like, okay, I can see this is going to be good, but maybe it's not for me in my current mindset. But now I'm so blown away by The Vanishing Half. I mean, it was truly, it was extraordinary that uh, I'm putting that back on my list. Did you read The Mother? Yeah, I actually, well, I, prior to freelancing full-time and then starting the podcast, I worked in publishing, and I actually was okay. in-house at, at that publishing house at the time. Oh, so. And so I got to read it early, and I yeah. was telling all of my friends to read it, and it's interesting because... At that time, I got a lot of mixed reads on The Mothers. Not everybody loved yeah. it as much as I did. And then everybody read The Vanishing Half and loved it. And so I've told them all to go back, and they all now are, like, fully on board with The Mothers, too. It's so interesting that you say that because I think at the time when I bought it, I had probably heard mixed reads. So if I read a few chapters and it wasn't exactly what I wanted in that moment, it was easier for me to set aside. But now, I mean, I can – again, it has nothing to do with the book. It's just, for me – it's just where I am mentally with whatever's going to resonate for me. And I am somebody who puts so many books aside very quickly because it, it's just sort of my emotional reaction having nothing to do with the book. So I'm totally all in on going back. And in fact, I just saw some oh, a friend of mine on Instagram just post that she just picked it up again and she loved it. So, I mean, which is great yeah. as an author, like, you know, your backlist 
can often be as strong as your new release. And so it's always great when people go back and pick up your old stuff. Yes. Yes. Well, I will include links to all of your recommendations as well as link to Karen's Witch. And speaking of backlist, I will include links to all of your books, Allison, including your most recent Cleo McDougall Regrets Nothing. Listeners, I hope you go check out not only Allison's most recent title, but her beautiful backlist. (laughs) Allison, it was so fun chatting with you. Even though I'm a Halloween Scrooge, I feel like we've given the listeners what they needed as far as Halloween goes. And I wish all of you out there a happy Halloween and I hope you eat lots of candy and... I don't know. Do whatever your <laughs> Halloween loving hearts desire. This year it might be a little trickier, but you can get the candy. Yeah, stay sure. in the house, please. Like, please stay in the house and enjoy your Halloween. But I hope you enjoy it in some way. Yeah. Happy Halloween, everyone. Thanks, Allison. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media/podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hello at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.